passage today. Let me open it up. Stuff settled here. Cool. So we will be looking, we're going to continue our series to the book of Romans. So today we're going to be talking about Romans 2, chap, chapters 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 8. And as you guys are opening your Bibles or opening your phones and flipping to there, um, yeah, I just have a weird little question for you. Have you ever had just a complete stranger just walk up to you and just start pointing out your flaws? No? I have. Because um, actually, so where I live normally, um, it's actually kind of common. Like, you meet someone new, and you're from different cultures, and in their culture, it's not strange to point out difference in physical features. And so they'll, you'll meet someone, and they'll just flat out say, you have a big nose. And it's like, thanks, I think, I don't know. And, or like if, you have, if you're friends, if you've been friends with someone for a little while, and recently you've just been not running as much and been eating a little bit more, they'll just flat out say to you, like, you're looking a little fatter since the last time I saw you. And that's not strange for them. It's strange for me still, a little bit, but it's not strange for them. Um, the reason I'm bringing this up is because, honestly, today, that's kind of my job, <laughs> is we don't know each other super well, but today we're looking at a passage that... It's no John 3.16, right? No one's quoting Romans 2 as like this super like life-giving, hopeful, joyful text, this promise that we can really cling to. That's not Romans 2. Paul is actually going to be criticizing the Jews in some sense. He's going to be basically showing how uh, they don't understand what a relationship with God truly is. And in order... He's doing this in order to break down their spiritual pride so that they could later on, for the rest of this letter, listen with humility to what Paul has to say. Okay? And this chapter, this section that we're still in, is in the section where Paul is leading up to what is the gospel? And later he's going to work on applying the gospel. But right now he needs to break down a little bit of that spiritual pride so they can listen later. And so my hope today is I'm not, my, I'm not going to come up here and just try and criticize you guys. Because I don't know you like Paul knows the Jews. But my hope is that we all, myself included, could listen to what Paul has to say with humble hearts seeking for God to change us and to make us more like his son, Jesus. So I will pray to that end, and then we'll jump into the text. God, I just want to thank you for giving me this opportunity to be a microphone, because that's all I want to be today. God, that you would just speak through me, and it would be none of my own wisdom, but it would be entirely words empowered by you to change the hearts of men and women. 
God, would you give us ears to hear and humility to understand and just accept, God, the message that you have for us today. God, I want to be changed by this. Would you help us all to want to be changed by this? Let me pray. Amen. So, um, yeah, like I said, the text for today is chapter 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 8. And uh, I've kind of broken it up into three sections. And so 2, 17 through 24 is our relationship to the world. Chapter 2, 25 through 29 is our relationship to God. And then the last bit, chapter 3, 1 through 8, is God's relationship to us and our response. So we're going to take it section by section, um, and we'll start with, yeah, 217 through 24. Um, so I will read this for us. Chapter 2, starting in 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Like I said, no John 3.16. <laughs> but what Paul here is doing is he would have intimately known the practices of the Jews. Because he was a Jew of Jews, as he himself says in Philippians chapter 3. He talks about how he was a zealot for the law, how he was, he was being trained by one of the most famous teachers of the day. He knew their practices and he knew their faults. And so Paul here is pointing out a really big one that they had, hypocrisy. When I was, um, when Jess and I were back in our home country, um, we had some friends that we'd invite over. One of them had become a Christian, we'll call her E, um, and the other one who had not yet become a Christian, his name is, we'll call him T. Um, it, was, we, it was funny, we'd have them over for dinner and then we'd just study the Bible together and um, it was great, man. It was, these two people are probably two of our favorite um, and both of them are now Christian. And uh, T, there was one time, after church, we were um, discussing one of the, the message, um, and I don't exactly remember what the message was on or anything about that, but uh, T, he, he told me, he's like, hey, Jamie, and this was in front of everybody, <laughs> he's like, T, do you remember, he's like, do you remember that time, one of those times that we, uh, we would like study together and eat together and all that kind of stuff? I'm like, yeah, of course, that was great, and he's like, yeah. Um, I remember one time, he's like, we had just finished eating, we were about to start studying, and he's like, E and I had started to like pick up our plates and the dishes and everything, and we were going to help you clear and serve, and I said, 
oh no, don't, get, don't do that. You guys sit down, Jess and I will take care of everything. Like you guys, no, just sit and relax. Like we want to serve you. And he's like, but then only Jess got up. And you just sat there and you kept talking to us and Jess cleaned up everything. And I was like, oh gosh. That just, man. Like I said, it was in front of everybody. So, <laughs> but man, I'm happy he called me out though, but it, didn't, it wasn't nice. Like I didn't enjoy that. Like it's not fun to be told like, hey, here's how you suck. But I think one thing that we see from this text is that while hypocrisy, man, it makes us feel terrible, and I think we're all guilty of it, it makes us feel terrible, but I think once it, this, this text shows us that we shouldn't just look inward when all of a sudden we're called out, right? It says here in verse 23 and 24, it says, um, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law for as it is written the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you I think what we see here is that and what we see throughout the Bible is that God he cares for us but he first and foremost cares about his honor among the world we see this in places like Exodus chapter 9 when uh, Moses is talking to the Pharaoh, and God tells Moses, say, I raised you up for this very purpose, that you would display my power so that my name would be proclaimed among the nations. He was doing it for his honor among the nations. We look at even like the beginning of the story, Genesis 1, or Genesis 1 through 3, where God tells Adam and Eve to multiply and be fruitful and fill the earth. Why is that? Because God likes babies? I mean, yes, but also because God wants the earth to be filled with his worshipers. God wants his name to be known among the earth, and he wants to be honored among the earth. And when we do not follow God's commands, and we, especially when we say one thing and we do another, God's name is dishonored. And so going back to that story, as much as it was like, oh, man, one of my first inclinations was, of course, like, oh, man, that, I didn't want to hear that. that. That makes me look bad. But my second thought was, man, I'm so glad that by my doing that, I didn't push my friend T away from the gospel, that he didn't look at that and say, oh, Christians, they say one thing and they do another. Why would I want to follow that? And so we need to be concerned with Sorry, Josh. We need to be concerned with God's honor. And so the question that I think I want to ask from this is, how is our witness among the world? Do our actions cause people to have respect for our faith and for our God, or does it cause them to want to have nothing to do with it? This comes from, um, this means shown in our work. Do our bosses see how we work and say, yeah, that's the kind of life I want to emulate. I want to follow Jesus like them. How about among our families? Do our, 
Do our families see a different side of us than the church does? That stings. <laughs> For me, at least. Sometimes, yeah. Um, yeah. It's easy to try and hide things, but um, what are some solutions? What's, what's a solution to hypocrisy? Well, first solution, just don't tell anyone you're a Christian, right? Then no one will think you're a hypocrite, right? <laughs> but we know that can't be right. Flipping back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it says in 5, 16 through 18, or sorry, 14 through 16, says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And listen to this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, and what? And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Once again, we see that theme. It is not for ourselves that our good works are done, but it is so that others would see our good works and would honor and glorify God. So, I don't think that we can just not tell people we're not a Christian. We're supposed to be the light of this world. What's another uh, solution? Well, I'll just make sure to hide all the dishonorable stuff I do, and I'll hide it really well so that no one will find it. Then I'll be safe. But man, 1 John talks about how we need to walk in the light and how we can't, as Christians, walk in darkness. And if we listen to that lie that we just need to hide everything, it's going to be exposed in the end. It's going to come out. And we're going to pay dearly for that, I think. So, what is the solution? I think the only solution to sin within the Christian life, or especially hypocrisy, is to admit it, repent of it, and walk in freedom. Because don't you want to live that life without guilt and shame? Don't you just not want to carry that burden, that guilt anymore? Well, how do we do that? Let's continue reading. Let's go to chapter, move on to chapter 2, 25 through 29, our relationship to God, with God. Okay, start in verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have, written the, who have the written code. And circumcision, well, sorry, will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter or the law. His praise is not from man, but from God. Okay, so for those of you who aren't familiar with circumcision, I'll put a diagram up on... I'm just kidding, not going to do that. <laughs> really though, it is funny that the, the new guy gets the circumcision passage. And so, 
Thanks for that one. Um, if you don't know what it is, go home and Google it, but not Google image. Okay. So what was Paul saying here? Paul was saying that effectively, the Jews had this practice of circumcision and they wore it like a badge of honor. But really, it had become a badge of condemnation because they had this blessing from God, the sign of the covenant, but their lives weren't matching that covenant. So what are some badges of honor for us as Christians? Some of them might be like, I don't cuss, mostly. I don't steal. I pay my taxes. I go to church on Sunday. But what about, like, those are pretty common ones, but what's, like, even another step in the direction of holiness I go to connection group. I've shared the gospel with my coworkers. I've even gone on a mission trip overseas. These are all badges of honor that we as Christians like to claim. But is this what the Christian life is all about? Running from event to event being good little boy and girl scouts and getting our scout badges. Thankfully, it's a resounding and joyful no. That is not what the Christian life is all about. It could be, if that's what it was all about, that would just lead us right back into the first problem of hypocrisy because we are not perfect. We are not good enough to be able to merit our way into heaven. It says in verse 28 through 29, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So we see that outward religion is futile. I don't know how often you'll hear people up on the stage say, don't do good things. (laughs) But it's not exactly what I'm saying, and we'll get to that in a second, but it's don't do good things for the wrong reasons. Because what we need is an inward faith that looks with the eyes of faith to our King Jesus for our merit and our honor, not these works. I think the closest thing that we have in the Christian life, in our post-Jesus Christian life, is baptism. Because circumcision was the sign of the covenant. It was this physical representation that a member had entered into the faith community. And just so with baptism, right? With us, baptism is a sign for new believers, a physical representation that they have entered into the faith community. 
And so just like that, we can look at this and switch out the words of outer baptism, outer circumcision, inner circumcision, outer baptism, inner baptism. If you have been baptized, but you had no inward faith or no belief or trust in Jesus, then your baptism did absolutely nothing and it would have been better spent if you just went into a hot tub and soaked in that for a while. Baptism itself does nothing. It is the inward faith that saves. Now, all of this to say, as I was just saying a little bit ago, it's not that actions are wrong or bad, but once again, they cannot be where we put our trust. They cannot be where we rest. We can't get done with the end of the day and say, I did some things for Jesus. I'm good with Jesus now. I can rest in peace. We need to depend solely on Jesus for that trust and that honor and that faith. And this leads us to our last section. Chapters, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that, God may, that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. Okay, so to summarize this little section, Paul is doing what he often does in that he is responding to, their to like the questions and um, their protests that he anticipates them to have. And what he was saying was that God had entrusted much to the Jews, right? They had the words of life. They had the covenant. They had the promises. God had entrusted so much to them, and he was faithful to them in keeping his side of the promises and his side of the covenant. And they had not only squandered it completely, but now they were trying to justify it. And saying, hey, we still have God's favor. Even though we're not doing so hot right now, we still have his favor, so we're good. And I was trying to think of like a modern analogy. And the first thing it made me think of was like a trust fund kid, right? I've seen him on TV shows, that kind of stuff. It's always the character you don't really like all that much. They have a lot of money and they just waste it and they're just incredibly... Like, they show no remorse, and they just don't care. They just do whatever they want. And my first thought is like, man, thank God 
we're not like that. That's not really the right heart. Because when we're reading the Bible, we will gain nothing from standing like the Pharisees did when they said, praise God that I'm not like that tax collector. Because I believe that verse 8, he would say the same thing. Their condemnation is just. But it is when we hold this word open, this Bible, it's when we hold this word, it's when we hold this word open saying, Spirit, search me and know my heart. See if there's any grievous way within me. It's only then that we're going to profit. We're actually going to be more like Jesus. So church, are we not here in America just blessed? I think we actually have a lot to compare with, with the Jews back then. We have Bible preaching churches pretty much every city you could hit on a map, right? I read a statistic that there are on average, five Bibles for every American household. Whereas in the country that we come from, it's actually pretty hard to come by them. And we have to sneak them in or we have to do all sorts of things to try and get Bibles in. And you even get, like, not even talking about like religious things, but we talk about like wealth. Americans are blessed. We have cars, we have homes, we have disposable income. God has blessed this country and the people in this country a lot. And so this is not to make you feel guilty for being an American. Not the point of this at all. But to say, without a doubt, God has entrusted us with much, so what are we doing with it? Are we just wasting it like the Jews did? Are we squandering this on our own selfishness, on our own for, we're like, oh, that's my money, I can do whatever I want with it. That's my time, I can do whatever I want with it. Because that was the same way that the Jews went down. So about now is when you guys should start saying, okay, earlier you said something about freedom, but literally all I'm hearing is condemnation and things I need to do. What, like, there's no good news here. Well, there is actually. (laughs) Because I think that when we look at it from just, I need to do this and I need to do this and I feel this weight over me to be honest about my sin and to do all these good works, we're just completely looking at this from the wrong end. I want, you, I want us to all look back for a second at the first line of that. God has entrusted us with so much. Do you understand the weight of that? Not the weight to do, but the weight to, be, to just feel thankful 
that God has actually, a holy and righteous God has actually entrusted us a very unrighteous and not deserving people with so many good things. The God who says, pray to me and I will give you all good things. The God who says, I am working all things for your good. We need to feel just overwhelmingly thankful and joyful that we have such a God to deal with. And he's not only entrusted us with Bibles and churches and wealth. He's entrusted us with something far more precious in his son, Jesus Christ. Who came down to this earth, though he didn't have to. He lived a perfect life to substitute for our own sinful one. He's beaten and oppressed and persecuted and ultimately murdered so he could be our sacrificial lamb. The Son of God did these things. I know we hear this message every single week, but please never let it grow old and sale. He has entrusted us with so much. So therefore, this weight is lifted because it's no longer, I need to go do this and I feel the weight to go do this. But when we understand our identity and our place before God, how he is pleased with us because of his son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice, it doesn't, it's no longer, I need to do, it's, I get to do this thing for my God, that he would be honored and that other people would know him. We have freedom to admit our mistakes and our hypocrisy, knowing that Jesus paid it in full. We have freedom to not need good works to feel right with God because Jesus cares about relationship with us. And we have freedom to joyfully live a righteous life so that our God would be honored. And to all of those who are wondering, sorry, to all of those, I can't read my own handwriting, to all those who are wandering away from God or without God, is this something you've been longing for? to have freedom from the weight to perform or the guilt over mistakes. I think we're all searching for that. For those of you who don't have Christ, my prayer is that you would listen to the words of Jesus when he says that all you are who are weary, come to me and find rest for your souls. You no longer need to perform. Come to me. I will love you for who you are. 
He's going to make you more like his son, like himself. But he loves you. So please come to Jesus. Know him and find purpose and rest. Let me pray for us. God, I just pray so much for this church that we would all just find our identity and our worth and our joy and our peace and our rest in you, God, and in you alone. That we wouldn't be looking at these, all these events and things that we do for our own honor, but that we would entirely just look to Jesus and say, he's the only thing I want. Everything I do for him is simply as a servant. God, I pray that we would not be afraid to admit our sin. And I pray that all of our actions and all of our lives would be lived to bring you praise and glory and honor. Here we pray. Amen.